On March 21, 1983, a 17-year-old Palestinian girl living in the West Bank village of Arabah was sitting in class at her local school. It was a standard morning. Nothing seemed out of the ordinary, until quite suddenly the girl began to experience a shortness of breath and a nasty cough. Her teacher and her classmates went to help her. None of them knew at the time that this young girl was about to become the center of an international scandal. Relatively soon after the girl fell ill, seven of her classmates began to experience the same symptoms. School administrators sent the children home, but these isolated cases soon spread. Later, other students in different classrooms started to experience the same symptoms. The following week, the illness had spread outside the school to nearby villages. This strange illness that led victims to faint and experience breathing difficulties that often hospitalized the victims had affected 943 Palestinian girls and Israeli soldiers. This epidemic soon became a national scandal, being covered on news reports both locally and internationally. Association press footage from April 3rd shows young girls withering in pain, lying in Palestinian hospital beds. But what was the cause of the illness? The Palestinians accused the Israelis of a chemical weapon attack, while the Israelis accused the Palestinians of using poison to trigger mass demonstrations. Both were wrong. After a year-long investigation by Israeli and Palestinian health officials, the report concluded that the group's symptoms were not a result of chemical warfare, but instead a result of mass hysteria. The psychosomatic symptoms would have felt very real to those experiencing the illness, but the symptoms nevertheless weren't physical. Mass hysteria is when an individual's behavior is unconsciously adopted by those around, triggering a domino effect. Without even intending to, one girl influenced the health of almost 1000 individuals and captured the attention of the world. Today we're looking at mass hysteria, attempting to understand why it happens, and we'll try to uncover if it's actually a lot more common than we think. All that coming up in today's episode of Nudge. The podcast I'd like to recommend today is the D2C Pod, brought to you by the HubSpot Podcast Network, the audio destination for business professionals. The D2C Pod is a podcast all about all the things direct to consumer. The hosts cover everything from starting, growing, and optimizing e-commerce stores and D2C brands. If you're interested in the stories behind your favorite consumer brands, this is a podcast for you. To start, I'd suggest checking out episode 318 which features the CMO of Feastables. So, listen to D2C Pod wherever you get your podcasts. Mass hysteria isn't a new phenomenon. The 943 Palestinian girls are just a few of the hundreds of thousands if not millions of people over history who have experienced it. Some of the earliest examples of mass hysteria come from the Middle Ages. The dancing mania gripped mainland Europe between the 14th and 17th century. It involved groups of people dancing erratically, sometimes in their thousands. Although this sounds like any modern-day rave, the mania was serious. It affected both adults and children who danced until they collapsed from exhaustion and injuries. One of the worst outbreaks took place in 1518 in Strasbourg, where 400 people danced for weeks on end, with many dying from stroke or heart attack. Between the 15th and 19th century, instances of mass hysteria were common in nunneries. 
The young women who joined the convents were sometimes forced there by family. Once accepted, they took vows of chastity and poverty. Their lives were highly regimented, often marked by strict disciplinary action. As we'll find out, these highly stressful scenarios that involve limited autonomy can lead to mass hysteria. During this time, hundreds of nuns reported experiencing demonic possession. They would use crude language and exhibit suggestive behaviours. In one convent, the nuns experienced a particular rare form of mass hysteria, where dozens of nuns started meowing like cats. Now, after hearing this, you might be quick to point out that these examples only involve young girls or folk from the Middle Ages, but that's not the case. Evidence of mass hysteria can be found in high-ranking government officials in the 21st century. Just look at the Havana Syndrome, a mystery illness affecting US spies. The BBC has learned that there has been a significant increase in reports of health incidents affecting US spies and diplomats in recent months. Originally known as Havana Syndrome, officials say the condition has now spread beyond Cuba to every continent. The symptoms include hearing strange sounds and a feeling of heat or pressure. In 2015, the US reopened its embassy in Cuba as relations between the two nations improved. But soon after opening, US officials started falling seriously ill. Just a year after opening, the US started to pull personnel out of the Cuban embassy, fearing for their safety. The Trump administration announced Friday that it is pulling more than half of its staff out of the American embassy in Havana. However, the story didn't end there. One year later, a senior CIA official in Moscow started to experience the same symptoms. The following year, some US government employees in China reported similar symptoms. These surprisingly similar reports came from US government employees and their families across the globe, including in Washington, D.C. This continued to affect U.S. officials during a tour of Asia in 2021. And there was some concern today as Vice President Kamala Harris continued her tour of Asia. Her flight from Singapore to Vietnam was delayed for several hours because at least one U.S. diplomat had to be medevaced from Hanoi over the weekend after suffering from a mysterious illness, possibly related to the so-called Havana syndrome, which has sickened hundreds of U.S. diplomats. In 2023, the US House of Intelligence Committee released an unclassified report that suggested that a foreign adversary was using pulsed electromagnetic energy waves to sicken Americans. Yet many outright reject this. The chances of one adversary coordinating attacks across dozens of different locations, including within the US, using weaponry that's totally unknown, seems unlikely. Instead, many psychologists cite this as another case of mass hysteria, including this professor who suggested it in an interview with the BBC. When you see mass psychogenic illness, there's usually some stressful situation, underlying situation. And of course, in the case of Cuba and the the embassy employees, particularly the CIA agents, they certainly were in a stressful situation. His book, which looked at all the available data on the syndrome, concluded that the illness was psychosomatic, another case of mass hysteria. And yet while these examples of mass hysteria seem slightly terrifying and unique, they're actually far more familiar than we'd expect. See, mass hysteria is really just an extreme example of something we experience all the time. To help me explain, let's listen to a recording of an audience applauding. It starts as normal, but then something starts to happen. One person starts clapping slightly louder and at a slower pace, and immediately the rest start to follow. 
This synchronization is a small part of a much larger bias that all of us experience, the herd mentality bias. Put simply, most of us, in the majority of scenarios, tend to follow the actions of others. If we walk into a foreign bar while on holiday and we see that no one's ordering at the bar, we'll take a seat and expect table service. If we head to an unvisited new city and see a queue outside a museum, we'll probably decide to join that queue. If your colleagues start lamenting a new project idea that you quite like the sound of, you won't share your real opinion, you'll agree with theirs. This bias to follow the herd isn't necessarily bad. It makes sense as an evolutionary trait. Our ancient ancestors would survive longer by going along with the majority. If we see a bunch of cavemen run out of a cave, we know that it's probably not a good idea to go in that cave. Psychologists have spent hundreds of years analysing this bias and there is ample evidence showing it exists. Researchers at Leeds University performed a group experiment in which volunteers were told to randomly walk around a large hall without talking to each other. As you can imagine, all of them walked around the hall aimlessly. But then a select few volunteers were given detailed instructions on where to walk. For example, head diagonally to the northwest corner, circle the room, and then walk 10 paces out and back, and then repeat. The scientists discovered that the masses end up blindly following one or two of the instructed people who appear to know where they're going. The results of the experiment showed that it only takes 5% of the confident walkers to influence the direction of 95% of people in the crowd, and the 200 volunteers did this without even realising it. Likewise, it only took one loud clapper to synchronise the group, or one popular Palestinian girl to influence hundreds of others. We follow the actions of others automatically. But we're not alone. Animals experience the same thing. Christoph Shamley describes how small Antarctic penguins exhibit a clear herd mentality when diving for krill. The penguins find the krill off the coast in the cold water. Yet it's dangerous to jump in. A leopard seal could be hidden just beneath the surface of the water, waiting to pounce. So the penguins use the same strategy as us humans. They wait by the edge until one brave penguin finally summons the courage to jump in. Then, every other penguin carefully scans the water to see if the brave penguin is attacked or not. Assuming it survives, the whole group of penguins will then immediately jump in. It sounds simplistic, but we follow this exact same strategy. Imagine you're holidaying in Cambodia with a group of five friends. You stumble across a stool selling fried crickets. You think to yourself, how disgusting that people here chew on insects. And then one of your friends decides she'll try it. She does so, and she says, oh, it's delicious. And your friends join in as well. And suddenly you find yourself doing the same. Just like with the penguins, we wait for one or two others to test the waters, and then we follow. Herd mentality dictates what you might eat, how you'll applaud, and even alters your memory. In one fascinating study conducted by Tally Sherratt and her colleagues at the Weizmann Institute of Science, the researchers investigated what happens when we learn the opinions of others. In the study, a group of participants were shown a 45-minute documentary depicting the hardship of illegal immigrants in Israel. After the movie was over, the participants answered 200 questions about the movie. Questions like, what colour dress was the main woman wearing? Or how many policemen were there in the movie? They would answer these questions and then head home. A few days later, the participants are invited back to the lab 
And this is where the interesting twist happens. The participants are shown the answers of their fellow participants in private. And although they don't know it, the researchers have actually changed the answers of others so they are purposely wrong. Next, the participant in question is asked all of the same questions again. What colour dress was the woman wearing? Now, most participants had correctly answered this on the day, saying that the dress was red. Now, the dress is a prominent feature in the movie. The main character wears it throughout. But now, they're showing the fake answers of their colleagues, saying it was blue. So what would you do in this scenario? See, I'd like to think I would stick to my guns and go with my gut instinct and say, it is red. But that's not how most of us act. Incredibly, 70% of the time, the participants go along with the wrong answers given by others. Although the participants thought they knew the truth, their confidence was shattered by the views of the group. And that's not all. At the end of the test, the researchers revealed that the answers they had shown from other participants were, were fake. They were made up. And then they asked the participant to take the test one more time and to please, this time, just answer it according to your own memories. And this is where it becomes really interesting, because the manipulation is so powerful that half of the volunteers' memories are permanently changed forever. They now have inaccurate recollections of the movie and are stuck with that wrong answer for life. 70% of us would alter our memories when learning the views of others. We're so wired to follow the group that it literally changes our recollections. It changes our behaviour too. In one study that I think is relevant to every marketer listening, a researcher from New York University studied how the first restaurant review you read will subsequently influence all other ratings. He found that if you manipulate the ratings of a restaurant so that the first review is glowing, the likelihood of other positive reviews being posted underneath it increases by 32%, and the final rating for the restaurant is enhanced by 25%. This means that the difference between a restaurant with an average rating and one with a phenomenal rating can sometimes simply be attributed to the first person who happens to log on and register their opinion. Not only does this herd mentality change our behaviour and alter our memory, it encourages us to go along with actions that we don't want. In one study, another by Tally Sherritt cited in her brilliant book The Influential Mind, volunteers were asked to fast for a full day. A hundred hungry Londoners arrived in the lab with no breakfast, no coffee and no snacks. At that point, Professor Tally Sherratt asked them to rate 80 different food types from wasabi peas to baked beans. Then, these hungry participants were told they'd get to make their choice and pick a few items to eat. But right before they were able to, the researchers showed them what other participants had already picked. And showing them the preference of others dramatically influenced the individual's choice. According to the study, 20% of participants ended up picking food that they had initially said they didn't like. Out of 100 students, 20 were left eating wasabi peas or baked beans, even though they'd previously said they didn't like those foods. Why did they pick them? Well, because the researchers had said that those foods were really popular with others. So they followed the herd and picked the wasabi peas or baked beans. And these three studies on fasting Londoners, restaurant reviewers and documentary viewers, well, they show how mass hysteria isn't really all too strange. It's just an extreme version of something we see all the time, this herd mentality. And this herd mentality isn't just visible in the lab. You can spot it everywhere, from wine sales to baby names. In fact, after this quick break, I'll cover three examples of herd mentality in the real world. Finding a service solution that helps you better connect with customers and keep them happy can feel impossible. 
It's like trying to remember the name of someone you've just met at a networking event. I've made this mistake before, introducing a colleague to my new friend Dan, only to find out his name was actually Ian. Being personal with your customers is important, but keeping on top of all that information can be very hard. That's where HubSpot's all-new service hub comes in. It brings service and success together on one powerful platform for the first time ever. It's got an AI-powered help desk and an AI-powered chatbot that handles frontline tickets fast. Plus, it comes with a customer success workspace that helps reps anticipate customer needs. Plus, it never forgets a first name. All of that can help you scale support and drive retention and revenue. That means better service and happier customers at every stage of the journey. Visit hubspot.com service to do more for your customers today. Okay, welcome back to Nudge with me, Phil Agnew. So mass hysteria is obviously a rare event. 943 Palestinian girls aren't fainting every day from an imaginary illness. And yet the psychology behind this phenomenon is something all of us experience. 95% of people followed one confident walker in that Leeds University study. 70% of participants altered their memory when hearing another person's recollections. And fasting students chose food they'd rather avoid when they heard that most other students preferred it. It's evident in all these lab-based studies that herd mentality is a real phenomenon that affects us all, and in extreme examples it can lead to mass hysteria. But are there tangible examples of herd mentality in the real world? Well, yes, there are plenty. In fact, your name might be a result of this exact principle. That's right. Tally Sherratt makes the point that the name you pick for your newborn can be less to do with individual preference and more to do with its worldwide popularity. For example, the recent popularity in the name Mason in the United States can be traced back to a celebrity called Mason, the son of a reality TV personality, Kourtney Kardashian. While that name's popularity was already growing, a year after Mason's birth, it jumped from number 34 on the top 100 baby names to number 2, and it has not dipped below number 4 in the five years after. Of course, it's impossible to approve cause and effect here. This celebrity Mason might have nothing to do with the popular growth of his name, rather he may just reflect it. But it's evident that the choices parents make are largely influenced by how popular a name is at the time. More real-world evidence for the influence others have on us can be seen in an infamous Facebook experiment. In January 2012, Facebook manipulated the news feeds of over half a million users so that some users saw a large number of positive posts in their feed, while others encountered a large number of negative posts. The Facebook researchers found that users who saw more positive posts, such as images of people hugging or holding hands, posted more positive messages themselves. Those who saw more negative posts, such as complaints about service in a restaurant or moans about work, created more negative posts on their wall. It seems that even our emotions follow directions from others. And while these two examples show that we follow the actions of others, altering baby name choices and Facebook posts to match the crowd, this final example shows that we even alter our preferences to match the expectations of the crowd. See, just thinking that the masses are against a certain product, like a type of wine, can dramatically shift behaviour. A great example of this comes from a fictional character who had a tremendous impact on the very real sales of wine. In 2004, the movie Sideways featured the character Miles, a wine connoisseur on a tour of wineries in California. 
Miles is a heartbroken, miserable divorcee who, in an effort to cheer himself up, goes on a wine tour with his friend Jack. The film did wonders for the sales of Santa Barbara wines, except for one variety, Merlot. Here's why. Do not sabotage me. If you want to be a oh. fucking lightweight, then that's your call. But do not sabotage me. Oh, aye, aye, Captain, you got it. And if they want to drink Merlot, we're drinking Merlot. Oh, no, if anybody orders Merlot, I'm leaving. I am not drinking any fucking Merlot! Okay, okay, <laughs> relax, Miles. Jesus, no Merlot. Miles opted for the Pinot Noir instead, for which sales have since skyrocketed. When Sideways premiered in 2004, Merlot made up close to 20% of California's red wine market. A few years later, it dropped down to 13%. In the same period, Pinot Noir sales grew by 16%. Simply believing that the masses preferred Pinot Noir resulted in wine buyers following that behaviour. We change our behaviour, our memory, our actions and our beliefs to match the herd. Now, obviously this isn't the case for everyone. In every example I give, there is a sizable minority who don't follow the crowd. 300,000 tonnes of Merlot was still sold in 2013, even though it was down from the 420,000 tonnes prior to Sideways. And of course, thousands of Palestinian girls, CIA agents, and non-dancing middle-ages peasants weren't affected by mass hysteria. But the takeaway here is that the majority of people do shift their behaviour to follow the crowd. And with that in mind, I thought I'd run a test. See, to promote this show, most months I run an advert across a network of other podcasts. This 30-second ad encourages people to tune into Nudge. Most months on the ad, I talk about what Nudge is about, what episodes you can expect to hear, and where to listen. But in my last ad, I tried something different. Inspired by these herd mentality findings, I added two extra sections to my Nudge ad. I'll play the ad here in full. Listen closely and see if you can hear those herd mentality nudges. Are you looking for a new podcast? Well, why not listen to my podcast, Nudge, the UK's most popular marketing show? It's all about behavioural science, which is the study of how people make decisions. Listen, and you'll learn the surprising psychology behind movie trailers, whether subliminal ads work, if brainstorming is BS, and why ads that rhyme stand the test of time. Do feel free to ignore me, but I would love it if you joined the 300,000 smart people who tune in to Nudge. That's Nudge. Give it a listen after this. Did you hear it? I added two extra lines. One said, the UK's most popular marketing show. And the other said, join the 300,000 smart people who tune into Nudge. Both of these lines, which are true facts, I should add, are directly trying to trigger this herd mentality. By saying that it's the UK's most popular marketing show, I'm highlighting that the majority of marketers in the UK choose this show over others. And this subtle tweak, it worked. On average, my ads increase podcast downloads by about 19% week on week. But this ad dramatically outperformed the rest, raising downloads by 33%. Only one other ad that I've run has been that successful, and that was when the show was much smaller, so had far more room to grow. Now, I'll be frank, this test isn't exactly 100% reliable. I added a lot of nudges into that 30-second ad, so I can't be certain it's just down to those herd mentality tweaks. But for me, it's evidence that this approach is worth using. I should continue to share how popular the show is. I should continue to highlight popularity to potential new listeners whenever possible. 
Because even though we like to think of ourselves as unique and independent and autonomous individuals, all too often we opt to follow the crowd. We started today's episode asking if mass hysteria is commonplace. And while it's clear that mass hysteria is rare, the biases that cause it are extremely common. They dictate the names we give our babies, what we post on Facebook, and maybe even made you decide to listen to this show. Okay, that is all for today, folks. I really hope you enjoyed this episode. Now, I need to give a big shout out to the main inspiration behind this show, which behind this episode, which is Tally Sherratt's wonderful book, The Influential Mind. This is a cracking book that explains the science behind influence, covering some of Tally's infamous studies, plus great research on the confirmation bias, herd mentality, and mirroring. It also shares a lot more information about many of the examples I've given in today's episode. It's a great read, and obviously I should also mention that it's incredibly popular. Forbes, The Times, and Huffington Post selected it as one of their best books of 2017. So if you are interested in reading this book, then head to my show notes. I've left a link to it there. Now, while you're looking at my show notes, you'll find a link to my popular newsletter. Now, I'd love to tell you that this is one of the most popular marketing newsletters in the UK and that several million people read it every month, but that would be a lie. However, it is still a good newsletter. Sign up and you'll get access to bonus episodes, a weekly behavioural science tip and the chance to email me directly. Thank you again for listening, folks. I'm your host, Phil Agnew. You can find me on LinkedIn. If you like the show, please do subscribe on Apple or Spotify. And for the first time, I think it's fitting to end today's episode with a round of applause. (laughs) 